training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with the Pendola Project. Hello, everyone. This is Matt Pendola. And I'm Jake Parker. We are here with episode 49, where we're answering your questions. Matt, we've got great listeners, and this was so much fun because we really got inside the minds of people who are listening to the podcast, and this is all about helping people with their problems and their fitness journeys, and we get to answer their questions directly. We talked about things like, where should I start? Should I do strength training? And basic questions that a lot of people, I think, have. Yeah, man. Well, you know, I'm going to, I think we talked about it a little bit in the podcast itself, but I'm going to remind everybody that if you have questions, please email us. There's no dumb questions. We love to find out what it is that you guys want to hear about. And whenever you have a question, guaranteed there's other people that want to learn too. So please send us in your questions. Let us know. I actually get a lot of questions asked to me in person when people see me. And speaking of in person, I have to say I was at the Boise Invitational over this weekend, Indoor Track Invitational. Right. Yeah, my Pendola Project kids were there. This is my last year doing that. So it's kind of bittersweet in that sense, but I love, love, love watching these kids compete. Not just my kids, but just all these kids. It was an amazing time. I tell you what, we can spend a whole podcast talking about how our kids have evolved into better versions of themselves, but you can imagine I was a proud papa this weekend watching everybody give their best and just put all that hard work, that whole process onto the track and just leaving it there. You know, everything that they could put out there, they did. And I'm just so proud of what they did. I had one of the kids that I don't work with personally come up to me and, and this is such a small world, but I had a coach there that used to be on my Pendola project. Oh, nice. Yeah. So Travis, if you're listening, he was, he was there and he's coaching now. And then one of his kids talked to me and it's, it's kind of funny because Travis, I don't even know if he's, hopefully he's listening now, but he wasn't aware I had a podcast, uh, hadn't listened to it yet, but then one of his kids has been listening. Nice. Yeah. And he said uh, that he had heard about us or he researched us and found us over the summer when he was looking for a good podcast to listen to on his runs. So I was really excited about that. His name is Pierce Simpkins. I believe I'm saying that right, Simpkins, but he was such a nice young man and a great runner, athlete, person. It was so inspirational to watch him compete and it was so nice talking to him. So thank you for coming by and saying, hi, Pierce. It really is an honor and just makes this old man feel good about what we're doing in the studio when I know that it has helped you get through some of your runs and maybe given you a little bit of information for your success. So thanks again, Pierce and Travis. Keep up the good work. You're a great coach. And it makes this not-so-old man happy that he gets some validation, that what he's doing is some good in the world. So hi, Pierce. Thanks for listening. Appreciate you. And uh, send us an email if you got any questions. We're happy to answer it. Now, we hope you enjoy this one. Your questions are answered in episode 49.
Oh yeah, we are back. Welcome to episode 49, where we answer your questions. Yes, that's right. We listen to you. And today, Matt, we've got a whole list of the common questions that we just keep hearing. These are things that you've come across through years of experience, myself included, and I see it online all the time. Right, Matt? Yeah, Jake. Lots of good questions. We got some great emails, some people that also been talking to me over this last uh, couple months, really, that want to know certain things on the podcast that they are interested in. I will say a lot of times, though, I ask people, hey, you're asking me some great questions. How come, uh, just curious, how come you don't email me those questions or, or Jake. And um, I think people get intimidated, like the question isn't good enough. It's not worthy of an email or something. And that's just not the case. If you have questions, trust me, a lot of other people have the same questions and you're only going to help other people by asking that question. So there, there's no dumb questions out there. If there's something that is going to serve you, it's going to serve somebody else too, I think. I think so. And I've also noticed that Google searching can be helpful, but it can also lead you down the wrong path a lot of times. And that's another really important purpose, I think, for this podcast is we get to talk about these things that maybe what you found online isn't wrong, but it may not be like the entire truth or it may be circumstantial. And so that's why we love hearing from you guys, because we can take your literal questions and we can hopefully give you a better answer. Yeah, I love that you brought that up too, because man, Jake, there's a lot of people that will Google these questions, but not necessarily get the answers that they're really looking for. And they oftentimes either get misled or get more confused because there's like too many options. And they say, well, I'm not sure which option to listen to, or I'm not sure who's saying the right thing because there's so many influencers out there. Yeah, and it's like that classic case. If you WebMD your symptoms, you're going to think you've got some horrible leukemia or something. But anyway, we're going to get started now. Matt, we wanted to start at the beginning because this is a question we get all the time, and it's basically how do I start? And so the question that I wrote down from the most recent email was, which program is best for me? That's a, t that's a good one. Okay. Yeah. So what program is best for you? Obviously I'm going to say something that everybody knows, but I want to remind everybody what serves you, what is your why, and does it necessarily fit in with your lifestyle? So I think we have to break this down a few different ways. So first of all, what is your goal? Will that program serve that goal? So in other words, if I'm working a lot on skill set, if I'm working on, say, my running gait that I talk about a lot with athletes, but yet running is really not a big part of your goal. So, Jake, for example, if you're more interested in getting into those pair of jeans or that dress, maybe your goals are going to be a little bit more aesthetic based and you don't have to worry as much about what your VO2 kinetics are. That is an obvious thing when I say it, but I'm surprised at how many people are stuck on things that their friend is doing or that they read in a magazine or that they were, again, kind of influenced to do. So one thing that I noticed a lot, though, Jake, is even in our profession, how many times have you seen somebody training for something that their coach happens to be passionate about? All the time. 
Absolutely, like living vicariously because, oh, this guy was a, a power lifter, and so we're doing really heavy bench press today. Yeah, everybody's kind of following along with what the coach is doing or what the coach enjoys doing. They tend to train everybody that way. Because it worked for them or whatever they define, you know, it worked, but it, it was a success for them. And so it'll work for everybody else. And I, everyone's going to want to do what I did. It's not the case. And that's why it's really important that you have a frank discussion, at least with yourself, about what your goals realistically should be. Yeah, so it's winter right now, Jake. What do a lot of people or a lot of clients that you know, what are they doing? Well, they got to find ways to get it done, and it usually has to happen inside. Um, the spin thing is huge right now. I think there's a couple big brands out there that are really making an impact, and people are getting those stationary bikes in their living rooms. And you know, I even know a couple people who actually do it. They don't just buy the bike and then let it collect dust in the corner. Yeah, it's, it's actually a decent program because it is interactive and it keeps you accountable more. It's not like the old days where you buy something like that and just collects dust or expensive coat rack. Mm -hmm. But over time, you're going to want to switch that up. You're not going to necessarily want to be indoors all year round on this spin bike. So after a couple months, it may be time to get out there on the trails. It might be time to take advantage of the warmer weather, the spring's coming around, and it's just also good to give your body a change, something new. But a lot of times I think that having some of that still in your routine is useful too. So we have incremental changes. We don't necessarily wanna have everything change. And so give your body some things that it's familiar with is what I'm getting at. And then maybe one or two new challenges. So you might say, do some mountain biking. That's going to be similar enough. Maybe even a couple mornings a week, say when you get up really early in the morning, you may still be doing your spinning and I don't know, swimming. You like to swim, Jake? Absolutely. I'm not very good at it, but yeah, it's a great exercise for me. How about ultimate frisbee? I I, I kind Love of it. like that. Yeah. Love it. And there's a couple great courses here in Reno, man. I, when I was in college, we did that a lot, actually. Did you? Yeah. At first I was like, are you guys serious, ultimate frisbee? But no, I was wrong. I, I had no idea how much fun it actually is. Yeah, you see, and you know what? You can't be too critical. Try new things think, oh man, that's not, that's dumb. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do, why would I do that? Mm -hmm. Why would I throw a Frisbee around <laughs> at a bunch of trees? Into a basket. <laughs> right. <laughs> the first, I was the same way the first time my buddy of mine wanted me to go do that. And I was like, I'm going to throw a Frisbee mm -hmm. a, against a tree or something. Mm -hmm. And well, you know, who does that? But it was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, over time I kind of got competitive with, it. I bought like a few different kinds of Frisbee. Oh yeah. There's like know. a putter, like a little small little Frisbee. There's your driver, the big, the big one that goes really far people get way into it man it's oh, cool yeah yeah and then i think i had like my all-around one too yeah yeah, yeah you're yeah. universal <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah oh yeah i love it man oh, yeah. but yeah like matt's saying don't just say no to things just because maybe it sounds a little bit silly but frisbee can get pretty ultimate well so, it's it, and, <laughs> frisbee <can get> <laughs> Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, I like that. But the rotation, for example, of that sport, that's something that's uh, different for you to be able to use in your body in a very useful, functional way. 
but you do have to prepare for that too. And so what I'm getting to is I actually train a competitive ultimate Frisbee guy. He's, he's actually really good, but, uh, and then he's also, he does Krav Maga. He's, you know, he's one of those guys that uh, cool. really involved with being outdoors and using a little bit more about using calisthenics, using his body for fitness and also for, other purposes for longevity, long-term health reasons that he likes to really have these sports in his life. And when he gets in the gym, it's all about supporting that with some good rotation, some good eccentric work, anti-rotation movements, even for his lower, his lumbar spine, those type of things that we incorporate into his program. So it there are some specifics that we need to start programming in so that his body is more prepared for that. So for example, with a sport like golf, after the ball is hit, that is when we tend to open our bodies up for potential injuries, trying to decelerate quickly. So we have to be able to train for that and prepare ourselves for that. Yeah, that's a specific kind of mechanic. Kind of reminds me of the topic we covered in our last couple of episodes where you get fit to run. You don't run to get fit because every mechanic is specific and it takes preparation. You don't want to just jump right into it. Yeah, no, I love, man, Jake, you're getting really good at like bringing up points that we need to cover. And I I love that because uh, sometimes I'm trying to rack my brain about what it is that people have been talking to me about or what I want to hear. And then, man, I, I love when we start to really roll with this. And there's a lot of people out there that are actually giving you a lot of good compliments about how you bring me back and you circle things back to what we need to focus on. So thank you for that. Focus. Oh, geez, that's nice. Could you have some of you out there email? Let me know. Thanks. That's nice to hear. Which is, uh, by the way, our Monday motivation coming up is on focus. Absolutely. Yeah, Critical. man. Mm-hmm. So another thing before we move on from that conversation, I just like to bring up, but when it comes to working on a specific skill set, like for your golf swing or for ultimate Frisbee that involves, say, rotation, eccentrics are important. And that's really taking that slower, controlled deceleration in your training. But it doesn't mean that you have to do movements or that you even should do movements that look exactly like your golf swing, for example. That's not necessarily the right way to do it either. Adding weight, and especially when people, say, use a functional trainer and they're using a cord or something like that, and they're trying to make this sport-specific movement with a lot of additional weight, thinking that that is going to serve them. Well, a lot of times, not only is it not necessary, but it's also putting unnecessary strain on auxiliary or accessory muscles that aren't meant to take that kind of weight and without momentum and with that eccentric position that you're in, you want to focus on your total body training and working and focusing on those controlled eccentrics, but still using lighter weight with more sport specific movements a lot of times. And then with your primary movements, that's when we tend to go with a little bit heavier of a weight. So don't think that these movements have to look exactly like 
your golf swing in order to serve your golf swing. Not to mention, Matt, that also opens you up to the potential for overuse injuries. If you're playing a sport and then you're also training for it, but in your training you're only doing moves that emulate your sport exactly, that might not serve your better interest because you really could open yourself up to hurt yourself. Which is obviously not what we want to see. Matt, what would an example be for someone, say, a golfer? If they were starting on a a strength program, what would a good move for them to train be? So, Jake, this is a great point to bring up. I can't wait until we have some of these videos on YouTube. We're actually working on that now. We're going to have our YouTube channel set up very shortly. We'll announce that. And so we'll be able to just refer some of these exercises that we're talking about. And quite honestly, we'll talk more about exercises that we can refer to once we start these videos up. So we're doing that for our listeners and excited to bring that to you guys soon. But in the meantime, I'm going to go ahead and do my best to just explain this movement. I think that most people have a functional trainer in their gym. Yeah, right? it's kind of like a cable machine. Yeah, you use it's cable, and then it, generally it's set up in like two and a half pound increments. So that's that's where it's traditionally used a little bit more for skill set type of movements. It's you're not necessarily using an awful lot of weight, but they tend to have more pulleys in these functional trainers so that it's smoother and so that there's a little bit more of a functional, if you will, transition in the movements. So if you are new to these type of exercises, you may want to start with, say, a half kneeling approach. That's going to make it a little bit easier on your balance, and you can really focus on the rotation, for example, with a chop or a lift or a pal-off where you're rotating towards your center of mass with good stability. And you can advance it by standing up and maybe even going on to a single leg if you have a lot of experience and or if you have progressed enough through these stages. So that all being said, I want to pull maybe concentrically with one to two seconds, a little bit more momentum, but still controlling the cord or the band, then pausing at about my center of mass, maybe extending my arms out in front of me. That's going to make it a little bit harder to control. I want to take that five-second rule a lot of times where I'll use something like that isometrically to really get that circumferential breath in. And that's always a good idea to me when you're talking about training for skill sets like this. And then very slowly taking that rebreath in and working eccentrically back, maybe for another three to five seconds. So these are the type of movements that I would do for rotation, for golf, or for ultimate frisbee, these type of things. You can complement that with your sport. Before I jump to the next question, because that's a great segue, first I want to bring up for people who maybe are not specifically training for golf, if it's just you know a general population, regular person coming in to see me, I often find that they have limits in their general body awareness. And I like to do things that are centered more on balance and really just relearning how your limbs move. And so I will start people, you know, in the first couple of training sessions, I'll have them stand on one foot. How long can you do that? Okay, you're, you're getting good at that. Can you do it when you close your eyes? And if you're listening, thinking that's not hard, you would be surprised. And then from there, crawl. 
crawl and then walk and then eventually we'll get you to run but standing on one leg is surprisingly difficult when you're first starting out and so if you are really really new to this if your gym age is very young that's okay start extremely simple and just relearn your body yeah no and there's you made a lot of great points jake it's it seems like when we are working with new clients, they really want to get to that single leg stance because they heard that's really good for their progression and they need to do that. And that's all true, but not if they're undefeated mechanics. Mm-hmm. Just remember, it's these incremental improvements that make a big difference. So we we started this off by saying, which exercise program is best for me? Where should I start? And of course, it's, it's always this struggle, right, Jake? Because we want to give the right serve the right way and give the right answers but where do we start is so subjective what is our gym age what kind of experience because i actually have a lot of really solid solid athletes that don't have a lot of experience in stability like what you brought up earlier man i just i just i'm amazed at how many athletes just use momentum they're great athletes that way and they figure it out their bodies figure it out but they're the worst Mm -hmm. they cheat all the time and i know they're great athletes but they actually make it look easy that doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing it the right way for them and i mean long term to prevent injuries and etc so i of course i don't like to put in my athletes heads that oh you're gonna get hurt i don't like that nocebo like i'm gonna put put that in your head that you better do this or you're gonna get hurt no but i like to start to incorporate some of these drills into their routine just saying hey you know i think this will even add more power to your swing so if you're this kind of person that has not worked on stability for a while and balance and things like this and you haven't really addressed these things you know take that piece of humble pie and start working on these things a bit more if if you don't want this to interrupt the weights that you're working with and you want to make sure that you're still getting in all of your other training there's no problem with that you can put this in interset it into your movement series into your strength training odds are you're taking a couple minutes off in between your sets or at least let's say 45 seconds to a minute so if you are then start balancing on a single leg while you're waiting for your next set especially if you're doing let's say you know um, a row Mm -hmm. why not just work on some balance in between another great opportunity is for um, when you're brushing your teeth I've got a little electric toothbrush and it's got a 30 second timer for each quarter of my mouth that's a total of two minutes and every 30 seconds I switch a leg yeah man well listen Jake I I feel like I gotta hire you as a trainer I know it's pretty weird I must have learned that somewhere All right, Matt let's move on to the next one that we have on this handy little list of your questions because you've emailed and we are just picking the ones that we hear the most often does exercise help with weight loss and matt i don't know about you i feel that when people ask this question they are usually trying to ask does strength training help with weight loss because you know is it kind of obviously yes exercise is good do that but i think most people are confused about strength training yeah so i think you're gonna know my answer already but it's yes and no does exercise help with weight loss well not as much as you probably think it does. Mm-hmm. It's really discouraging when you're on the treadmill and you're like looking at how many calories you've supposedly burned and it's half of a piece of pepperoni. 
(laughs) (laughs) You've been on for 30 minutes and you're like, oh, this is going to take me all day. But see, this is also the effect strength training has on the body and especially, again, with consistency that matters. So I'm going to give an example. I just experienced myself and it reminded me how important this is to relay this to people. So after North Face, and of course, you know, if you guys have been listening, we appreciate the loyal listening, that I took some time off from training and then started getting back into it. Well, again, just for professional sake here, I did work on my accessory movements and I did work on mobility quite a bit in January, but didn't really pick up any serious weight, didn't do any serious training and um, it was almost like more like workouts. Like I'm, I'm just going to come in today and kind of do what I feel like doing sure. and just I feel good and I'm going to leave. Whereas I started training last week with Zach Robo, my head trainer, which by the way, if you are local in Reno, look him up. He is the best and he's taking over my facility and I'm super lucky to have him. Yeah. Email us. We'll get you in touch. Absolutely. But anyhow, shameless plug there, I know. But uh, I'll talk about that on the next podcast for sure because people need to know more about Zach. And uh, Billy Haug, who's been on this podcast as well, and he's actually going to be talking about nutrition, uh, I believe, next week, which will be fun. And then my wife, Erin, she's also doing some Spartan training. So the four of us are all doing Spartan And we started up our training together last week. And I tell you what, it was tough. I was, it was a push. I had to push through and I'm glad I have that accountability with these guys. I would not get myself through these training sessions without my team. They push me and I'm hopefully pushing them. And we're designing these programs and also just kind of testing out what we think works really well. But I thought to myself, okay, this was hard. Don't get me wrong. This was hard. On paper, I made it harder after the first day because I just thought, okay, I need to, I'll step it up a little bit. I think all of us can do a little bit more. And on paper, it looked, okay, this is going to be appropriately hard. Well, the, the next one we did was a bit harder than I thought it was going to be. Right. It looked easier on paper than it than it was in real life. And I think it's because of all the burpees we programmed oh, in between. Oh, the worst. Oh, man. So, and, and that's okay, especially if you are just doing that kind of intensity, maybe, you know, one, one really good session that week where you're kind of going for it, which we were. So that week, though, I was starting to sweat at night, getting the night sweats. And I haven't experienced those night sweats in a while. Wow. And it reminds me that my body had really adjusted. So all of the practice what you preach parts, uh, yeah, getting ready for North Face, those were some really tough conditioning sessions, especially in the mountains, getting ready for that race. But reincorporating some of this, the grip strength and the pull-ups and the burpees and all the chaos work that we did. So chaos training for our squats and our lunges. And when I say chaos, we have bands hanging from the bar with kettlebells dropping and bouncing as we go. Like unpredictably unstable. Yes. Yeah. Which, by the way, fantastic, especially for things like Spartan, where we're going to jump off a wall, let's say, and we won't have complete stability where we land. It's it's just fantastic for a lot of reasons, but that's just one. So I'm 
realizing now how much more that my body is getting out of this training, especially when I wake up and it sounds gross, but my sheets are just soaked in sweat, <laughs> you know, just soaked. And, but I'm, you know, of course my sick mind, I'm like, man, cool. I'm getting a lot nice out of this. Nice work. Yeah. And so actually it is a good indication to me that my body needed this change. Which I think that is the take-home point where, where if your question is, does strength training help with weight loss, it's is it incurring change in you? All right, Matt, we're going to tackle a couple more of these real quick. Should I do cardio or weight training first? That is such a common one because everybody thinks like when you first start and you've got to you know start running and that's how you're going to get in shape. Cardio, I think, is people's default answer. But what's your answer, Matt? Should I do cardio or weight training? first so i'm going to be really frustrating and say it depends yeah it's kind of a loaded question though but it really isn't that difficult it's actually something i really wanted to answer as simple as i could so here's what i say first of all let's just take spartan i think we need to latch on to a theme but then apply it to your why okay, okay? so for me personally i'm getting ready for spartan last time I did Spartan, I did well, but what I knew at the time was that my running, especially over these courses that are pretty mountainous and I was a bit heavier, I was strong, but that additional strength that I had gained came with a cost. And that was that I ran at a slower speed overall. So I made it my priority last year to make trail running my main objective. And so now I feel like running has become a little bit stronger for me again. And now I have more of a balance in my training, but I need to focus on the grip strength on creating tension first. Okay. So strength is determined by how much tension you can provide really. And this is something that most people in Spartan have a difficult time with when it comes to grip, because if you are creating tension the entire time, you're probably going to fry your grip out and sure. you work really, really hard. And then my clients will tell me that have done these type of races. I just couldn't hold on to the monkey bar anymore, for example, or, or we had to do a climbing wall and I could not hold on anymore. My grip was shot. And oftentimes the thinking is that, okay, I need to really improve my grip strength. And that can be the case, but I think that some of it is timing. And so I will stick with that for me is that creating that grip max tension that I need for moments of time within the race is what I need to be able to execute really well. So my grip doesn't fry out, but also because in Spartan, for example, you are going to have maybe 30 obstacles that you have to get through. And in those 30 obstacles, you have to really be able to space out your economy, right? Your strength economy, your power economy, your economy, period. So I'm going to focus a little bit more on my grip strength as being my main objective, but more specifically on how I can execute that maximum tension for short periods of time and then run. So I'm going to do that in that order. 
But for some people that have, let's say, their main goal is a 5K race, they want to do their cardio first. Yeah, Matt, like you said just a minute ago, I think it obviously depends on what your starting point is, what's your gym age, and what is your goal. But I am... I will hesitantly give some advice here because it always varies depending on who you are, but I would usually, for the average person, start with some form of strength first because cardio training in in traditional ways typically involves locomotion, right? A lot of repetitive step-after-step type of moves. And those things, I think, once you start to get tired, if you are truly a beginner, you really are at risk of some improper mechanics leading yourself to injury down the road if you don't have at least some kind of a strength base. Yeah, that cyclic action Mm -hmm. can shorten up your range of motion. I, I agree. I think it's good to get your strength training done. And in, in when possible, even separating the two by, let's say you're going to do both in the same day, but maybe you're going to do your cardio that day, but it's an easy day. You might get up first thing in the morning, do an easy run, even get in some dynamic movements or some kinetics and go get your breakfast, go to work, maybe in the afternoon or after work hitting your strength training. So you're separating the two by enough time that one doesn't affect the other. Mm -hmm. But in general, just remember guys that you need to prioritize what is your main goal or your main need for that goal. So if your quality day is centered around repeats on the track to get faster, or you're going to do that spinning that we talked about earlier, and you know, it's going to be a very challenging session then that's going to be and should be your done first. That should be done before the strength training in that case. But if your main objective is to get stronger and you're trying to, let's say, for example, be able to do more pull-ups, that should be first before your grip is shot. We got time for one more here, Matt. Target heart rate. This is a tricky one because it is so subjective, but the typical answer for your maximum heart rate, if you start to become a personal trainer and you get the book, basically the book says it's 220 minus your age, right? And obviously that is a very loose definition because that would be 220 minus 28. That would be 9192 for me is my max heart rate. And I know it's actually higher than that. Yeah, so do you happen to know the story behind that number? I don't. Is it a good one? I think it's a good one. And this, I think, is a good lesson for all of us listening. Be careful of what you follow. Know how and why it came about in the first place. So this is a great example of how we just kind of blindly follow the norm or the medium, right? So there was a guy that was going to give a lecture on heart rate, And he was on the plane on the way to the lecture. He had to come up with just an easy system in order to find heart rate zones. So on a napkin, on the plane, he came up with 220 minus your age. You're kidding. No. That's all that it was? That's it. Oh, I feel so terrible now. I've been following that for years. So here's the deal, though. This guy had good intentions. He wanted to be able to give a simple system, Mm -hmm. and he had to figure that out quickly. He's not trying to deceive anybody. He never did that thinking that it was going to go worldwide, like go viral. That's that's not. It was for that seminar. 
and it was to help those people just find a sort of median or find an average and then go from there and get more specific to these professionals he was talking to. It wasn't supposed to be an absolute. It was supposed to just be kind of a blueprint of an easy way to find a general number that you can now use that and go up or down and try to get more specific. But it wasn't meant to be used the way we use it today. Well, that makes sense. But like you said, be careful what information you're taking in. So, all right, Matt. So if someone is looking for some intense cardio training, what would be your method to find a target heart rate? Not a maximum heart rate, but like a good target to train in. I like to use the talk test is simple enough. If you can talk like we're talking now, mm-hmm. obviously it's easy. My heart rate is not very high. Right. And if you have to start to chop that down to just say a sentence and then you have to catch your breath a bit, obviously you're starting to pick it up a little bit. You're starting to go a little bit more into that sort of that middle zone. Okay. So starting to go more towards that steady state work. Okay. And then we have the harder threshold type of work where you might say a few words at a time. And then repetition type of work where you can blurt out a word or two. I'm okay. Yeah, as long as you know you're okay. Is this hard, man? Yeah. That's going to be the repetition type of answer, and you know that you're pushing it pretty hard. So that's the talk test to me is about as good as anything. I don't really, to be honest with you, trust the heart rate training. I've found that in the past clients who are using the monitors for intervals, they really misunderstand what it means anyway. So for example, intervals, Jake, you may have somebody on that bike going hard as they can for say 30 seconds. Okay. And their heart rate is shooting up but then they're doing, maybe let's, it's a Tabata style thing and they don't have a lot of recovery and they're going again. So again, for, for these purposes, the training in itself becomes more threshold type of work. It's not true power training. You're not really developing your max speed because you're not getting enough recovery. But if that's the intention of what you're doing, great you're not going to be able to use that heart rate monitor for recovery methods in the traditional way that you use it to see with a tempo run, let's say, for longer intervals, it works better. And I don't wanna, that can be another podcast. This is actually a subject I think I find very interesting, but when we use heart rate monitors for our high intensity interval work, I think we get misled a little bit on what numbers we see. And like you said, there's some people that are going to hit much higher heart rates and think that they are going way too high where it actually may be appropriate for them. And other people that certainly should not be going that high at all. And so we use the talk test a little bit more. If you want to double check yourself, you can start to use a breathing flow method that, well, I have designed it over the years with my athletes, but I don't think it's too hard to explain 
you breathe in when you're going easy for about five steps, say you're walking. Okay. You're breathing out for another four steps. And that is easy. If you can't do that, and this is, by the way, nasal breathing, okay, mm-hmm. with your nose. If you can't do that, odds are you're already working too hard. And that's something I teach all my athletes because we oftentimes go too quickly into the higher heart rate zones, and we need to spend a much longer period of time, say five minutes at least to 10 minutes where we are building up into higher zones. I say a much longer time because oftentimes we are already in the first minute or two going up into our red zones, and that's not good for our overall progress. And it doesn't show that we understand the why or the objective of that day. So if you're trying to lose weight or you're trying to improve performance, we need to warm up slowly and of course prevent injuries. So then the next zone for me, it gets more to a four, three. So breathing in for four, out for three. As you're going faster, you can guess it's a three, two, then a two, one. So when we're going at a good, strong, sort of effort, and then we're gonna hit that two, one, two in, one out. So at the two, one approach, for example, we are of course now using our mouth as well to breathe, but it's a great system for a couple reasons. One though is because we tend to breathe in and out on the same side. For example, if I'm running, and I have a stronger, more confident right side, I may be stuck in that 3-3 or 2-2 breathing pattern. So I'm breathing in 1-2 with my right foot being that second step, breathing out 1-2 with my right foot on that second step. And that creates a pattern overload cyclically that I think over time creates an imbalance. Yeah, it's a lot of repetition. And that's something that I wasn't even aware of until just a couple years ago, Matt. You pointed that out to me and I was like, whoa, he's totally right. I do have the same breathing pattern always. For me, it was with my left leg. That was like when my left leg landed was my indication to inhale or exhale. And so now I do that offset. So it's like three or four Yeah. Yeah. So these are just examples. I don't like my athletes to get too stuck on always counting, but it's just good to be able to use that as sort of a guideline in the check-in. So they might do that during their training or even during a race just to kind of check in and see if it matches up with where they think they're at, their perceived effort versus their breathing, for example, those patterns. Finally, I would just say that it doesn't mean that I think that you shouldn't monitor your heart rate. I think that monitoring your heart rate can help just for additional data. I just wouldn't get stuck on it and I wouldn't be a slave to the heart rate monitor. Like using it every single day, like some people do, that's just too much to me. If anything, I use the heart rate monitor more on easy runs. So Phil Maffetone came up with this system and it's 180 minus your age. Okay. And yes, that is just a general number. And yes, it matters if you're sick or if you've been injured, what kind of fitness you're in. But in general, if you're operating at 180 minus your age. So for me, that's going to be 133 beats a minute. Mm -hmm. For me, that was 152. 152. Okay. So obviously, I just, if you do the math, you guys figured out how old we are now. 
but this is going to help to make sure that I don't run too hard or cycle for that matter too hard or whatever I'm doing, um, even hiking at times. So it will indicate to me if I'm following that Maffetone method. It's not, again, something I'm stuck on and it's not something that I'm promoting as what everybody should do. It's just something that I'll use sometimes to make sure that my steady state stamina is kind of matching up with the rest of my training progressions. I will use something like that, say on a three mile course. And over those three miles, I'm at 133 beats a minute. Okay. It takes me, let's, let's just throw out a number, 28 minutes and 12 seconds. Okay. Okay. For three miles. Okay. And that's at the beginning of my training progressions. Every month or so, maybe six weeks, I'll check in and see where I'm at again. But especially Jake, when I am looking at another training progression potentially and wondering whether or not I've gotten enough out of the one I'm in. Right. If my time has improved, I'm down to say 26 minutes and change. Um, or in other words, I've maybe taking a minute off of my overall time or more with the same exact heart rate in the same course. I know I'm making progress and this is an indication to me that I'm headed in the right direction. If I haven't made that kind of improvement, then I may want to restructure my training program and realize that I, I may be overdoing it. So that's mainly what I use it for is that I want to make sure I'm not over-prescribing training progressions and I may be able to reduce the risk of injury or an athlete dealing with illness because of overtraining and we might see that early on with the result of that three mile test. So guys, if you've never done something like this before, I do suggest that you try a 15 minute power walk test. Hey, I can do that. Right. And, and, and again, I've talked about this so many times, but I know I kind of reboot to the running more because I train a lot of runners, but you can certainly get a lot of this out of your walking too. And in fact, if you're always using the same test, it's going to give you that indication on whether or not you're making the progress you wanna make. So if you power walk for say 15 minutes, you use the same course every time, you may find that you're able to cover that course quicker with the right training progression, or you may find that you're not making the progress you want, and it'll give you an indication that you need to make some changes. So again, you can use that monitor. Now, by the way, if you find that you can't get your heart rate up high enough, then it may be an indication that you need to put more stress into your training by starting a running program, maybe getting some hills in by putting in some kind of additional stress that makes it tougher for you. But the idea is that you have a set point that you can check in with and see how you're progressing. So I believe that's something that everybody can do, even just using a course around your neighborhood. I think that's great advice, man. And like you said a minute ago, don't be so glued to that heart rate monitor. It is there to help you, but it is not set in stone. And thank you for the questions. This was a lot of fun. I enjoyed this episode quite a bit. If you've got something for us, you can always email us, pendolaproject at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, man. Thanks for listening.